the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I am Ben, my ride-or-die host, Noel, is off on an adventure, uh, but returning very soon and sends his regards. Super producer Casey Pegram is here with us as well. Casey, this is an episode that's been on our mind collectively for some for some time, and I am excited to see what we find, but it's, it's something that I've been thinking about over the course of this week and this weekend, uh, unintended consequences, man. You know what I mean? History's full of them. Oh yeah. I don't know where we're going with that. Uh, it's an exciting theme. There's so many possibilities for, I mean, history is, is literally the, the story of unintended consequences at some level, I think. So, um, it's going to be a great show today. I think. I like the way you, you put that. We're waxing poetic today, man. That was nice. Uh, we have uh, decided to explore a cavalcade of unintended consequences, which, as you said, Casey, is a really good way to define history in general. But we are not venturing forth into this land alone. Today, we are incredibly fortunate to be joined with our special guest, the host of the new podcast, Flashback. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the audio stage, Sean Braswell. Sean, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here, Ben. Thanks for having me. Now, Sean, you have quite a vested interest in a number of pursuits. I, I believe you may be the first polymath we've ever had on Ridiculous History. Oh, that, that, that's quite an honor. It, it, it's true. I, I'm something of a Renaissance man, uh, someone who went to college for way too long and, and did far too many degrees, but uh, it, it eventually pays off, I think. So I 100% agree with you, by the way. I, I was still like, I, I think like many of us every so often, I think I should get a PhD, you know, just, just in something. 
Uh, so, so that's that's the dream. Uh, but we wanted to ask you on the show today to help us explore some of these unintended consequences throughout history. And we've asked you to do so because this pertains directly to your podcast, Flashback. Could you tell us a little bit about what Flashback is? That's right. Um, Flashback is a is a history podcast, and, and our first season is, is all about unintended consequences, like you said. And uh, you know, I like to think of of history, and one of the things I, I I love most about it, in addition to the great stories and 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 the ridiculous stories, like you guys cover, is just to think of it as one big giant laboratory experiment where you can sort of see cause and effect unfold over time, and uh, you can figure out uh, how things are connected. You know, sometimes change happens on a dime, sometimes it happens over centuries, and uh, you know, the beautiful thing about the about history is that it teaches us about how so much of the world around us is contingent, you know, that things don't have to be the way they are now. And uh, and they almost weren't. Yeah, there's so many pivotal points in history, right? Decision points have been called or crossroads. It's something we spend a lot of time thinking about on this show as well. You know, what if something happens just a few minutes later on a particular afternoon, right? What leads us to investigate the largely invisible stories of some very common things? Throughout season one of Flashback, you've been exploring topics that might ostensibly seem like something everyone's aware of, you know, like air conditioning, we, we get it. We know what air conditioning is. But you explore the ripple effects caused by some of these events, some actions of notable individuals like Henry Ford, for instance, or the, uh, the way in which a, a controversial product might affect the world around us. I was hoping that today uh, we, could, we could explore a couple of these things because there's a lot of stuff in flashback that I I had no idea of, I, I, I had no idea the entire story of cigarettes. Like when we think of cigarettes today, this is a good starting point. When we think of cigarettes today, you know, we think of things like the massive health concerns, right? Uh, the, the tremendous damage it can do to your body. We also think of maybe uh, the social aspect of cigarettes being cool in 1960s film and uh, film and, and you know television uh, ridiculous stories you can't see it but I, I got a little too in character and now I'm waving an invisible cigarette that I have to keep for the rest of the show uh, but this is this is where I'd like to start today Sean cigarettes what what are some of the unintended consequences of cigarettes well there are just so many and uh, and cigarettes have such a rich history and and one of the things I think uh, like you mentioned that that we take for granted today is we cigarettes are basically synonymous with smoking and tobacco but it wasn't always that case throughout American history. I mean we have a long history with tobacco in this country going back to the Mayflower and the Pilgrims but for the most part through the the early history of the United States we were talking about cigars and pipes and chewing tobacco not not manufactured cigarettes uh, and for for much of our history cigarettes were considered you know somewhat effeminate you would be made fun of uh, if you were a man and you were were smoking a little dainty cigarette just like you gestured a minute ago <laughs> so this is odd because you know, for a lot of people, 
the idea of the Marlboro Man is pretty familiar, and that's something that's supposed to be equated directly with, say, a, a more masculine presentation, right? How how did this switch occur? Yeah, it, it's funny. It's a very masculine thing to do, uh, thanks in no small part to the Marlboro Man, but in part that is uh, all rolled up into the relationship that smoking has with war in American history, going back uh, to the First World War, in fact. Right, right. So I imagine then it's a situation where tobacco is perhaps a ration that's given to soldiers similar to the way, you know, you would receive food rations. Is that correct? Yes, but not at, but not at first. Uh, it wasn't actually included in, in the U.S. Army rations in World War I until the very end of the war. Um, the very first group to hand out cigarettes, and they handed out more than two billion of them to U.S. soldiers, was in fact the, the YMCA. Wait, the Young Men's Christian Association? That's right. One one in the same. Um, these sort of Christian progressive temperance groups like YMCA, they, they're the ones that helped get prohibition passed in America. They were very involved in uh, the moral health and reform of the country. And uh, one of the places that they were most concerned about was the environment that soldiers found themselves in. You know, we have a certain view today that being uh, in the military is a glorious, profound, and noble venture. But uh, back, uh, you know, in the days of the Civil War, mothers would fear when their sons, and it was mostly their sons, who went off to battle and would come back with all manner of bad habits and vices, from pornography use to <laughs> to drug use to alcohol abuse, all sorts of things like that. So groups like the YMCA grew up to kind of help protect against that kind of concern with vice among uh, the soldiering class. Yeah, yeah. You know, this feels like it has the ring of truth. I'm imagining what those what those vices might be. You know, they're very serious things like someone becoming uh, addicted to an opiate of some sort for the treatment of, you know, uh, chronic injuries or chronic pain. But then there's also stuff that seems kind of I don't know, at the risk of sounding dismissive, seems kind of silly. Like little Johnny ran off to war and now he came back and he's got a hot hand in dice games. You know what I mean? The kid just can't stop gambling. And it's still, it, it seems though counterintuitive that a uh, organization dedicated to perpetuating its idea of morality would be associated with, like, you know, there's a YMCA down the street uh, from from Casey and I, and I'm pretty sure they're anti-smoking now. I, I haven't read all their literature. That might be my assumption. I would I would assume so as well. Uh, you just have to remember the context of a, a century ago, and it was almost like smoking was the lesser of many evils uh, when it came to World War I soldiers. For example, the British uh, Army gave their soldiers rum rations, state-sanctioned rum rations. Uh, and the French soldiers actually had state-run brothels that they could frequent during World War I. And uh, a lot of the American public and the U.S. Army weren't aboard with that sort of vice. Uh, but they felt like cigarettes was one vice they could effectively sanction. And it was because it had certain benefits uh, for soldiers as well. It was something that would calm and soothe their nerves. It was something to do when you were bored. And uh, and one thing that often gets overlooked is just the fact that smoking can dull your sense of smell. And there were some very bad smells on the on the World War I battlefield. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I, I, I had thought about maybe the recreational aspect of it, um, but I, I think you're making a, a pretty profound insight about the functionality 
of of smoking. There, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there were soldiers who had taken up the habit just so they wouldn't have to constantly smell the terrible stenches of war. Absolutely. You would find people who wouldn't normally take up habits like that, adopting them in contexts of extreme stress like battle. And, uh, and that is what basically hooks an entire generation of young Americans, young male Americans on cigarettes is the fact that they're put in a rather unusual circumstance. And those who might not necessarily have addictive personalities or pursue that sort of vice outside of such a circumstance would, would, would do that in, 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 the, in the millions. And so when these soldiers return, now veterans, right, they return with their, uh, with their cigarette habit. And this is, okay, so this is like the close of World War I and the interwar period, correct? Yes, that's right. Okay, so after, after they return, what happens? How does American culture sort of uh, associate or, you know, navigate the idea of the cigarette? Well, I think it just becomes much more sanctioned, much more accepted, and you have millions of new, now very manly nicotine addicts coming back from the war. And of course, it's a very profitable industry as, as a result, and the, and the tobacco industry is making crazy profits in, in the 1920s, and, and it spreads to other segments of the American public. And of course, the more profitable the industry, the more profitable it is to tax that industry, which is how uh, state and, and the federal government get first involved in cigarette taxes. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, so I have I have several questions about this because when you said, you know, when you mentioned the the potentially uh, massive profits from from tobacco industry in general, right? All the products. Uh, when you when you mentioned that, I was immediately thinking for a second you were going to say, and of course the more uh, profit there is to be made, uh, the more likely you'll see a criminal element involved. Uh, and, and I think that, uh, now I'm not saying that taxing is a criminal element. I'm just saying that uh, the government was not the only entity trying to make a little something off the top with cigarettes. But weren't cigarette taxes controversial at some point? I mean, people in general are not big fans of taxes. No, they they they're not big fans of the cigarette tax, but but initially for the first twenty years or so, they're you know they're pennies on on a pack. They're they're relatively small. They're 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 minor additions to the cost of a pack of cigarettes, and uh, but it was a great revenue raiser for the government. Uh, and you have to remember, you know, during the nineteen twenties, during prohibition, the government was no longer taxing legal alcohol, which just blew an enormous hole in the U.S. Treasury not having alcohol taxes. And so the government was looking for ways to recoup that revenue, and uh, tobacco taxes were one big way of doing that. And I think about 15% of the federal government's tax collections in the 1930s were tobacco taxes. 15%? That's that's an insanely high number. Uh of entirely from cigarettes. I guess it's it's interesting because a lot of us in the modern day, you know, we like there's still a, a visible demographic of the population that smokes or maybe engages in some kind of relationship with nicotine, like vaping or something. But it's been on a steady decline for a number of years here in the States, from what I understand. 
it's it's just so it's startling to realize that not that long ago, you know, it would seem more abnormal for someone in a certain demographic to not smoke, right? Like even even doctors are recommending the smooth feel of the camel cigarette or something like that, right? Absolutely. And uh, and just to take a microcosm of that, you know, the average military base today, and you, you go down to, to Fort Bragg, which is about an hour from where I live in North Carolina, and you don't see people smoking anymore. You hardly ever see a cigarette, uh, a soldier with a cigarette in his or her mouth. Um, but, you know, back in the 1920s, it was a different story. And especially in, in World War II, they were everywhere. They were the preferred coping mechanism uh, for, the, for the enlisted man. And then, of course, who are you to tell that veteran that they are somehow effeminate because they have a cigarette instead of a, you know, a, a cigar? Or, I don't know, I'm spitballing here, a hookah. Who knows? That's right. <laughs> L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So when, when you look at this, do you think that the YMCA knew just how popular this uh, distribution plan of theirs would be? Like there, it sounds like we can tie them almost directly to the popularity of cigarettes in America. Yes, I I don't think that the YMCA had really any clue as to the long-term consequences of what was essentially an, an act of generosity during World War I, trying to provide a mechanism for soldiers to better cope with life on the battlefield. 
Yeah, but I mean, that, that's one of the things we, we, we talk about a lot in, in the podcast is just how these unintended consequences can play out over time and, and often in directions you could not have fathomed at the time and, and in ways that create much bigger and larger vices than the one that the YMCA was trying to deal with during World War I. And this, you know, this is sobering stuff. Uh, just, just so everyone knows, the way we're kind of laying out today's journey is to start with uh, what I would say is one of the most dangerous topics. Clearly, you know, we can also we can also point out that the YMCA was not on some insidious conspiracy, you know, to to give people cancer or anything. It was, as you said, an act of generosity, but it had significant and serious consequences on the American public. And those consequences still reverberate with us today. But maybe we switch topics here and and take a, a different path. Sean, why don't we cool down the tone of the podcast a little bit and uh, talk about air conditioning? Just, just to set this up here, air conditioning is amazing. A lot of people here in the U.S. have uh, lived their entire lives with easy access to air conditioning. It's ubiquitous in many parts of the world. But if you have ever spent an extended amount of time in an area uh, where air conditioning is abnormal, you very quickly notice its absence. Uh, Casey, I want to throw to you, actually. Uh, how common is air conditioning in France? Yeah, in, in Paris, it's it's very hit and miss. And it's sometimes used as uh, marketing for like a, a film, you know, movie theater will say uh, La Salle is climatisé and means it's climatized, it's air conditioned. And so you, you kind of have the idea that um, maybe some people are buying tickets to go in just to cool off for a couple hours and the movie doesn't matter so much. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a whole way of life, right? Like you always have the windows open. You're always kind of conscious of trying to keep some airflow going, stay fresh. Um, where, you know, light materials that breathe and so on. It's it's a whole thing. Casey on the case. Yeah, you know, Sean, I had uh, in a previous life, I, I had lived in Central America for some time in Guatemala. And, you know, air conditioning was much less common, at least the, the place in the place where I was living. And the last thing I did before I returned to the United States uh, was to splurge a little and spend the night in a in a hotel that had uh, this was very big to me had both carpet and air conditioning uh, and and now returning with that like I am constantly amazed by air conditioning I think it does affect us in ways that we we don't really think about but you on flashback had mentioned it also played a role in politics yes that that's right you know um, when comfort spreads. Over an entire country or over an entire globe, eventually, it changes the way people behave, often in unexpected ways. And even though we come to think of air conditioning as a creature comfort, as an invention that makes life easier, uh, that, that idea of comfort, of having an easier life, influences how people behave. For, for example, moving to different parts of the country that they might normally not want to live in. Uh, for example, Houston or Phoenix or, or any of a number of places in the U.S. Sunbelt that uh, now have cities with, with, that are home to millions of people, but at one time would be, it would be absolutely unthinkable to, to want to spend an entire year in a place like that. Yeah, like the swamplands of Florida. 
You know, I'm especially thinking very humid places where it just saps your energy out. So we know without getting too into the weeds on the story of air conditioning's invention, we know the idea has been around for a long time, right? How can we make the air and the environment around us cooler? But what would you say was like the, the first wave of people empowered to move via air conditioning availability in the U.S.? Well, the big moment on that front is in the early 1950s with the advent of the home air conditioning unit. Uh, Because even though air conditioning had been available in large commercial places in America for for most of the early 20th century in department stores, uh, or like Casey said, uh, in France, in, in movie theaters, there was not something that was present at home. It was a it was an escape from the heat. Uh, so for example, movie theaters in the 1920s and 30s, they would advertise with big icicles and polar bears, or, and some would just prop open the lobby doors so that if you were walking down the sidewalk, you could feel this breath of cool air coming out, and it would in- entice you to buy a ticket and, and come inside. And so that was the reality of air conditioning for decades, was it was a it was a comfort in a in a public place. But once the air conditioning unit comes into the home, that's when people start to realize that they can live in a variety of places across the country. And uh, you can see that start to shape population migration in the United States starting in the 50s and 60s. And and ultimately, that affects political representation and, and where people are and what type of people are in different places. Right, right. Because the way that our you know, our voting and electoral system works uh, means that the more people who live in a given state, right, the more representation they have in in Congress via the House of Representatives, right? And uh, I guess that goes into municipal government as well. You know, now that you mention it, Sean, I'm just thinking like uh, Houston, Texas, for instance, without air conditioning is a automatically going to be a much, much smaller town by almost any measure. Is air conditioning responsible for these metropolises? Absolutely. If you take Gulf cities like Houston, New Orleans, Tampa, there were about less than half a million people in those cities before 1950, which seems unfathomable today uh, when there are something more like 20 million people that live in those Gulf cities. And uh, that increase, that mass migration to the Sun Belt, uh, was as a result of air conditioning primarily. You know, you have to wonder if any of the politicians ever thanked air conditioning in a stump speech, you know, uh, or in an acceptance speech. Like, I'd like to thank God, the good voters of uh, the Florida Panhandle, and of course, air conditioning units. The, re- the real soldiers of summer. Exactly. And uh, and some notable, mostly Republican politicians probably should have, in, including President Ronald Reagan, whose election in 1980 was sort of the tail end of a, of a mass migration south in the United States. Uh, I think what a lot of people don't realize today, where we tend to think of the southern states as predominantly Republican states, is that in you know the first 100 years almost after the Civil War, the Democratic Party dominated the South. And so, for example, there are about 100 House of Representatives seats in the Southern U.S., in the Southern states, and only about seven of them, about a handful of them, were Republican for most of the 20th century. Those were the sort of mountain ones in Tennessee and North Carolina. And starting in 1954 in St. Petersburg, Florida, 
you start to see that flip. St. Petersburg went from being a Democratic constituency to a Republican one. And the main reason for that was that you had a lot of wealthy Northern Republicans who were migrating South, people who might have wintered in Florida previously, decided to just go ahead and uproot and live there all year long. And I'm wondering, too, how this applies to other areas of the world. I think we can I think we can even expand and go a bit closer to a macro level because, you know, one of the first things people think about when they think about crazy heat in the world is going to be the Middle East, right? Places like Dubai or Saudi Arabia. And I'm I'm starting to think that this link you have uncovered applies to, in some way, to those cities as well, those centers of human capital and learning. Um, it's it, it's fascinating to me, especially the idea that air conditioning might be responsible for the rise of republicanism. Uh, for, for anyone interested in learning more about what, what Sean and Casey and I are exploring here, uh, just Google the term Dixiecrat, right? Uh, that I believe that, is that a pejorative term? I thought it was just sort of like a group name. Not originally. It has subsequently <laughs> come to be somewhat pejorative. Right. The idea being that uh, the Democratic Party of the South at this time in Reconstruction and post-Civil War did not have much in common with the Democratic Party as we understand it today. Uh, the Democrats or Dixiecrats in the in the post-Civil War realities of the South were very much an oppositional party. They wanted to maintain what they saw as a political and cultural stronghold uh, against the victorious Northern uh, and largely Republican parties. So you, you said there's this massive migration South, and it's enabled by the home air conditioner, which is, you know, the newest thing that you need to keep up with the Joneses. Were people moving from a specific part of the country, like the Northeast or the cooler Northwest? Uh, where where did all these people come from? Primarily from New England and New York and the Rust Belt. Uh, and to put this in context, about 86 seats in Congress went from the North to the South during this time period. And as the South grew more populous, its clout in Washington uh, improved as well. And those were predominantly Republican seats. Sean, permit me to just brainstorm or conspire a bit here, but I'm I'm also wondering whether manufacturers of air conditioning equipment maybe not predicted this trend, but I'm I'm wondering whether they were able to see it because surely they noticed where most of their sales were occurring or where things were um, rising, right, in certain demographics. Do we know if anyone in the air conditioning industry clocked this or saw it? Or were they just thinking, man, we're going to be rich and at a low ambient temperature? I'm sure they were keeping track of it. And it was a, a bonanza for them. And you can see the the studies and the, and the census figures and, and other things during the time period for not only the, the growth of the population in the South, but the percentage of American homes that had air conditioning at this time. You know, I think it goes from something like 30% of households in the 60s to 50 percent and 70 and 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 up and up from there to I think it's about 97 percent or so today and we can also see the effects of air conditioning I would posit in the growth of infrastructure right you have to have a much more reliable energy system uh, especially you know in, in like a 
a sweltery New Orleans summer. New Orleans is a terrible example. There were already a lot of people living there. But but the uh, uh, maybe let's say um, San Antonio, another very hot place. Uh, I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering what other effects happen here because I, I think it's an, an unfortunately common occurrence. A lot of people have experienced that uh, stomach churning emotion. When you have the AC on too high, maybe you're camping somewhere or your car is getting overheated. Uh, there are parts of the world now where we, as a species, cannot envision living without air conditioning. But is it driving energy infrastructure in these cities as well as driving voting populations? Absolutely. I mean, I think you find that this has gone from being a luxury to a necessity in a lot of places like like San Antonio or like Phoenix, where you have to have an enormous infrastructure to support millions of people um, that live in a place that, that basically, in the case of Phoenix, you know, just over a century ago, probably had 20,000 um, and, and not 2 million or more. And uh, you have to have uh, heat relief efforts on hand. You have to have, uh, you know, legions of, of uh, HVAC repairmen. It's just a, a much different landscape, one that is geared towards treating this particular home appliance. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire, part time, or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. And air conditioning has changed the U.S. It's changed the world. There were a couple of things I wanted to chat with you about because we may be potentially in some situations, we may be shooting ourselves in the climate-controlled foot 
with air conditioning. I'm thinking specifically with uh, your excellent example of Phoenix, Arizona. It, it's a great example of how the use of air conditioning can actually make air conditioning more necessary in the future, right? Because we're making it cooler inside buildings and structures and stores and so on, but we're doing that by expelling hot air into into the environment. I found a study that said the hot air pumped out of air conditioning units in Phoenix, Arizona, raised the city's average nighttime temperature by something on the order of two degrees Celsius. Again, that's that's two degrees Celsius for basically everybody on the planet except for the United States. Uh, for us U.S. residents, that's thirty five point six degrees Fahrenheit. Nothing to sneeze at. That's that's a pretty significant jump. Yeah, and like you said, it's a it's a vicious cycle now where uh, you know the the massive use of air conditioning does affect the climate and does affect affect the temperature, and uh, which in turn you know just enhances the need for air conditioning. And if you think it's bad as a result of cities like Phoenix, you know, wait till air conditioning becomes far more prevalent in places like Delhi or Jakarta or other cities in the world. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a prescient and disturbing point, Sean, uh, especially when we consider the hundreds of millions of people who live in these, who live in these areas. You know, it makes me wonder I'm not the expert here, ma'am, but it it makes me wonder if maybe we should go back to the days of uh, having the ice trucks run, right? When that, that was an industry in New England, right? They would literally drive these trucks all the way up to Canada, I believe. They would chop off chunks of ice, they would cover it in hay, and they would be like, hurry, 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 we've got to put our foot on the gas and get back down to New York. Uh, I don't know. That was a real thing, though, right? That was a fairly prevalent industry beforehand. Absolutely. And and just so many other ways of keeping cool that we've kind of forgotten about today. People used to spend lots of time outdoors, in the shade, under trees. You know, they had a lot of public fountains where you could go cool off. Uh, there's just a, there was a whole way of coping with the heat that we've we've seemed to largely forget about. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, you know, uh, I'm one of those people who's naturally always kind of cold. So I have, I have space heaters distributed strategically around my house. Um, and, and I think that's something that we as, we as humans uh, find ourselves quarreling with pretty often. Like we're, I think we've become so adjusted to having this minute control over our inner temperature that some people just can't find a good temperature anymore. I mean, Casey, I see, I see, I see you've got a, a knowing glint in your eye. Are you one of those people who's always like too cold, too hot, or do you know someone who is? Well, I was just thinking of the dynamics here at the apartment. The thermostat, of course, is in the central living area, and there's there's a little bit of a, a constant push-pull on, <laughs> you know, bumping it up a degree, bumping it back down a degree, and so on. Um, and it's funny that the variance is literally just like a degree that we kind of like go up or down on. So I don't know. It's just, it was just funny to me. What about, what about you, Sean? Are you in a, uh, oh, this is so bad. Are you in a temperature cold war? No, not at home right now, but I, I, I am with respect to, uh, podcasting and having, I turn the AC off whenever I'm recording. And so I notice myself getting progressively uncomfortable the longer I, I, I record the podcast. I don't know if you have that experience. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. So we, we've been recording in our respective uh, bunkers 
you know, uh, over the course of the ongoing pandemic. But for most of our show's history, Casey, Noel, and I recorded in something that looked very much like an insulated uh, shipping container, like you would see on a cargo ship. And it was exactly like sitting inside one. It wasn't barbaric. There was a window uh, so that uh, Casey could see us and we could see him. You still really did luck out. You got the catbird seat on that one, Casey. Oh, yeah. I was I was outside the sweat box. So it got hot out there, but it was like probably 10, 15 degrees hotter, it seemed, uh, inside when you guys finished after like an hour. It was like a, a locker room in there. It was pretty bad. Yeah, it was very good for managing sound, Sean, but it was very bad for circulating air. Um, probably the most uh, impactful anecdote I can share about that is, uh, you know, it was the first time recording in that in that shipping container for this show and for other shows. It was the first time in my life I walked out of a room and thought, wow, you know, I can feel the temperature drop. And then I realized, I'm like, whoa, I smell like the people I was in there with. Like, that's, the, and that's, I believe in the parlance of our time, that's called the funk. I got the funk. <laughs> uh, so, um, but of course, you know, we do these things for you all listening in the audience today. Now imagine if you had to do that in, in a woolen vest and suit or multiple petticoats. Oh, yeah, you know, it's the main thing. It's the main reason that I'm not more into petticoats, really, if I'm being honest. it's I definitely have no objection to the aesthetic. Oh, man. Casey, I think we did it again. We did. We uh, this, this has a way of happening, I've noticed. The uh, impromptu two-parter. <laughs> yes, yes. We have another impromptu two-parter. Uh, assuming uh, Sean Braswell will uh, continue going on this strange journey with us, uh, there, there's just so much more we want to get to. Uh, Sean, what do, what do you say? Are, are you up for a part two? I would love to come back and talk to you more about Unintended Consequences, Ben. Oh, fantastic. Good. Because I don't know what we would have done if you said no. So I'm glad that worked out. Uh, in the meantime, while, while we're getting to part two of our episode, we highly recommend you check out Sean's new podcast with iHeart, Flashback, which contains stories very much like this, uh, far deeper dives than we're getting to today, about everything from uh, air conditioning to cigarettes to uh, Henry Ford in a very weird way, uh, and also, spoiler alert, kudzu. Uh, Sean, where can people go to find Flashback? Sure, you can find Flashback, History's Unintended Consequences, on Apple Podcasts or the iHeartRadio podcast app or, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd also like to hear your stories of unintended consequences, things that you think your fellow listeners would enjoy. Ridiculous History is, you know, all over the internet. We basically got everything now but a Pinterest uh, because of, you know, some ongoing litigation. But don't worry about that. Just find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. You can talk to uh, Casey and Noel and I directly. Uh, we're also going to volunteer Sean here. Sean, if people want to reach out to you about Flashback and maybe share some, some of their stories, where should they find you? Please email me at flashback at ozzy.com. That's flashback at ozy.com. Uh, we've been inviting our own listeners to share with us their stories of unintended consequences, as well as other stories from history uh, that we might not have uh, covered or, or missed. Fantastic. I cannot wait to read the stuff people are going to send, Casey, the stuff they're going to post. I mean, it will hopefully be a, a bit of a balm 
to our wounded egos now that we realize we chose the wrong career paths and are not, in fact, cigarette tycoons. So as always, thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. Uh, thanks to Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quister. I think I may have forgotten to thank him on this or a future outro. Uh, and and uh, we'll, we'll see him soon. Uh, of course, we're also always glad to shout out Eves Jeffcoat, our peer podcaster for this day in history. Uh, let's see, who else, Casey? We got uh, Alex Williams, who composed this banger of a track we're, we're listening to at the uh, beginning and ending of pretty much every episode. Who else we got? We got Noel Brown. Um, I think that's about it. Oh, yeah. It'd be weird if you thanked yourself, right? Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't go that far. <laughs> We're not that Kanye level yet, but we'll get it. We'll get there. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, super producer Casey Pegram. Thank you so much uh, for going on yet another ridiculous historical journey with us. We can't wait to hear your stories and we can't wait to bring you part two of our series on unintended consequences. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.